Well, good morning, Village Church. I'm Matt, one of the pastors here at the Village. If I don't know you, I'm uh, grateful to have, uh, we're grateful to have you here with us this morning, especially on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers. Can we just say that? Happy Father's Day to all the fathers this morning. And, um, and I just want to say happy Father's Day to all the men, you know, because, because I saw you take the bacon from the table in the front, even though you're not a father. And I just want to say, you're welcome, you know, you're welcome. That's what we do. And also, I met, I had a couple guys this morning, like Reagan walked up and he said, hey, I said, happy Father's Day. He said, happy Father's Day. I said, ah, well, happy future Father's Day. He says, I could be a father you don't even know. So I don't know if you're trying to tell something or trying to tell, no? Okay, you're not trying to tell us anything this morning, but like, I don't know. So uh, happy Father's Day and uh, grateful to be with you guys all today. Um, we are starting a new sermon series in the life of our church today. Uh, one of the first Sundays here in summertime, if you can believe it, it doesn't really, I mean, yes, did you guys, the sun yesterday? Can we just say, thank you, Jesus, right? Now, now it's back to feeling like we live in Seattle, but it'll come, it'll come. So, so we're going to start this new prayer series, and we're going to be talking about the prayers of the Bible. And we're going to look at prayers in the Old Testament and prayers in the New Testament over 12 weeks. And uh, the Bible has a lot to say about prayer, so obviously we're not going to get to all of it over those 12 weeks, but we're going to try to get to as much of it as we can, and uh, we're going to look at some very unique prayers in the Bible this summer, and I could not be more excited about that, and all the things that are going to go along with it. You received an email from me this week talking about some of those things. We'll tell you more of those things this morning. But before we get into the context of Moses' prayer here this morning in Exodus 32, I just want to kind of do a brief context of prayer in the Bible in general? Like, where's the first mention of prayer in the Bible? And it might surprise you to know it's as early as Genesis chapter 4. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, it says, To Seth also a son was born, and he was called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is the first place in the Bible, as early as Genesis chapter 4, where we hear that people began to call on the name of the Lord. People began to cry out to God in prayer. The first mention of prayer in the Bible is people calling out to God, crying out to God for help, for his help. As early as Genesis chapter 4, we know that humanity needs the help of God. The Bible has, uh, theologians have this thing called the law of first mention, and, and it goes like this, that the, the first time that anything is mentioned in the Bible, we get the simplest and the clearest view of that thing. So when you're studying theology and biblical theology, you start it early on, you kind of work your way through a concept all the way through the Bible to get to the end. The law of first mention says that when something's mentioned the first time, we get a simple and clear, the simplest and the clearest view of that thing. And so here we have the law of first mention and prayer. We have the first time that prayer is mentioned, and here we get the simplest and the clearest view of prayer in all of the Bible, and it's this, that prayer is about calling on God for his help. Because we need it. Because there's a context to the prayer in Genesis 4:26 that actually comes from Genesis 3:15 where after our first parents, Adam and Eve, sin against God in the garden, deciding that life outside of God would be better than life with him, that life outside of proximity and intimacy with God would, would be better than, than, than it is with him, that they disobeyed God, they disregarded him, they sinned against him, and sin enters the world, and it begins to, even in that very moment, open their eyes to this, this sense that, that now, now corruption has entered the world and things begin to unravel very, very quickly. 
And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, which is one of the consequences for sin, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I don't have time this morning to get in all of this, but this is also a kind of law first mentioned, where God says there's going to be a redeemer that's going to come. There's going to be a savior that's going to come. There's going to be a leader that's going to come. There's going to be a redeemer that's going to come. Some kids in this church call him the serpent crusher, right? Because he's the one that's going to step on the head of the snake. And we all know who that is going to be. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there's this hope that there's going to be a deliverer. Yes, sin has entered the world, and it's began to corrupt things already in that earliest moment. But the hope is that God's going to send someone through the seed of the woman. We know who that's going to be, don't we? That's going to be the one that our hope is going to come through, that he's going to be our helper in the midst of this world that now is infused with sin. And the context of Genesis 4, 26 is that that, that sin has entered the world and destroyed things and fractured relationships in such incredible ways that Cain kills his brother Abel. A grim thought to think about on Father's Day that one of your sons would kill another one of your sons. That Cain kills Abel. And then Adam and Eve begin to have more children and they have Seth. And then Seth has a son named Enosh. And at that time, people began to call out to the name of the Lord. I believe, and a lot of theologians believe, that in this moment, that, that that's a generation that has seen the effects of sin go so far and wide that they're saying, God, help us. We need your help. Sin has fractured our relationship with you. It's fractured our relationships with other people. Everything is broken right now. Please help us. They're crying out to God. Again, the simplest form of prayer in the Bible. Fast forward to Exodus 32, and I believe this is exactly what Moses is doing in Exodus 32. He's crying out to God because God's people have corrupted themselves, turned away from God, turned toward idols. God's people in Exodus 32 had done the exact same thing that God's people had done in Genesis chapter 2. And the effects of sin are now rampant. And so this is exactly what Moses is doing. God's people have sinned against them, and it's a problem. It's a big problem. So big. The effects of sin have been so big from Genesis chapter 2 to Exodus chapter 32 that God's now saying, I'm just going to wipe them out and, and make a, a change of plan. You might say, well, what could have made it that bad? How did they sin against him? Verse 7, and the Lord said to Moses, go down to your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. They have corrupted themselves. This word literally means they've allowed corruption to seep into their lives. They have become corrupt and debased. God's people corrupted themselves. They, they'd allowed themselves to literally decay into idol worship and debauchery. It only took 40 days of Moses being on the top of the mountain to, to fall into that kind of debauchery. Things haven't changed. Verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. God's people had turned away from God and from the good life that he created for them. They had, they had corrupt themselves, began to decay. They turned away from God, and then they turned themselves to idols. Verse 8, they made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it, sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God's people had done three things. They had corrupted themselves. They began to decay because of the presence of sin in their life. They had secondly turned away from God because of their sin. And third, they had turned to idols to say, now we're following these things. This is what delivered us and saved us. Turning away from God and turning toward other gods who are not gods at all, 
because of the corruption and the decay of sin in their life. So what was God's response to this? Verses 9 to 10. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Let me just pause here. I'm going to say this a couple times. If you think that God is just waiting to punish people, you have a very misinformed view of the God of the Bible. I know it's really popular to say today, like, well, God's just an angry God. He's an ogre, and he's up there just waiting to punish people. No. How many generations do you think happened between Genesis chapter 2 and Exodus 32? God is extremely patient and long-suffering. These are a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation out of you, Moses. God is upset. God is righteously angry. And God's going to bring judgment on them, and they deserve it for corrupting themselves with all kinds of sin and debauchery, turning away from God and turning toward idols that are not God's at all in any way, shape, or form. Was this a righteous response? It was. It was what they deserved. The question is, what should our response be when those who profess to be God's people? These people were professing to be God's people. What should our response be when there's people who profess to be God's people and they corrupt themselves, they turn away from God, and they turn toward idols? What, what do we do? We pray for them. We pray for them. We don't judge them because they're already under the judgment of God. We see that here. It's plain. They're already under the judgment of God. They don't need us to judge them. They need us to pray for them. And this is called intercessory prayer. And if you're not yet a Christian, that might sound like a big and and weird word, but it just means an intercessor is someone who just gets in between. That as Christians, we believe that God uses the prayers of his people. We'll talk about that in a moment. So intercessory prayer is when we pray God's heart for people. And this is one of the most important kinds of prayer that Christians pray, is when they pray God's heart for people. We celebrated our Apprentice Academy graduation this past Tuesday night, and we had a great dinner, and we shared all kinds of things, and some of the grads talked about their their spiritual formation exercises, and some of those came from a a spiritual formation handbook, and in that handbook, it talks about intercessory prayer this way. Adele Calhoun says, intercessory prayer invites us into God's care and concern for us, our families and friends, and for the entire world. It is a way we become aware of God's prayer for a person and join in that intercession. When Moses prays this prayer of intercession for God's people, he prays it after spending 40 days in the presence of God. Moses knows something of God's heart And certainly after spending that long in his presence, Moses knows something about God's heart. And so so he begins to pray for God's people. And the Old Testament shows us other glimpses of this, God's heart for people. Ezekiel 33, 11, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why would you die, O house of Israel? And the New Testament speaks to this as well. We just saw it actually last week in 2 Peter as we finished up that book in chapter 3 where it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So intercessory prayer is getting God's heart for people. And I would say in my experience, especially when it comes to 
people about corrupting themselves and, and turning away from God and turning toward idols. My experience is that people need intercessory prayer. I need intercessory prayer. We need intercessory. We need other people to be praying for us. How much does it mean to you when you meet someone and you talk to them about something in your life and they say, I've been praying for you. I've been trying to get God's heart for you and I'm trying to pray that thing for you. <laughs> Nothing could be more encouraging. Nothing could be more helpful. This morning, um, we're going to see five things that we can learn about intercessory prayer through this prayer of Moses for God's people. And the first thing we're going to learn is in verse 11 where it says, but Moses, what was Moses' response? But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against these people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with a great power and with great might? Listen, in intercessory prayer, we pray to a personal God. It's the first thing we learn. In intercessory prayer, we are praying to a personal God. We are not just throwing our words up to the wind. We are not just breathing words into the air. We are not just breathing words and prayers to a being that's like the big guy upstairs or the man upstairs or that guy out there or whoever that being is. No, no, we are praying to a very personal God. Again, when Moses prays this, he's come down from 40 days of intimate time with God. In this moment of intercessory prayer for God's people, Moses has spent 40 days in intimate time with God. And that is the key to any relationship. The more time you spend with someone, the more you get to know them, the more you get to know their heart. In a couple of weeks, we'll go on vacation and we'll spend some time with one of our best friends in life. And he says it to me all the time. And I'm not sure that he said it first, but I'm just gonna quote him just in case he's listening and he did. <laughs> There's no such thing as quality time. Fathers, you will never get quality time with your children. You will only get quantity time with them. There is no such thing as quality time. It is a myth. There's only quantity, and the quality happens. It's found in the midst of the quantity. Moses has spent a lot of time with God, so he gets a lot of quality time with God, and he gets the heart of God. And I just want to say to all you fathers, I hope this is an encouragement with, to you to spend as much time with your children as you possibly can. And if you know me, you know that if I'm trying to err, I'm going to try to err on that side. And if I got to clean some stuff up other ways, I will. But I, I want to err on spending too much time with my children and just have to correct for that instead of the other way around. The men in this church do this well. Fathers in this church do this well. Thank you for all the the great examples we have in this church of, of great fathers who spend a lot of time and are very intentional with their kids. It's a mark of a really healthy church, and I'm just proud to be among you men. But this is the key to Moses' relationship with God. It's, a, it's an intimate life with God. One chapter later, Exodus 33:11, it says, Thus says the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses has an incredibly intimate relationship and personal relationship with God. And I just want to pause and say the only way we'll be able to intercede for anyone in prayer is if we spend intimate time with the only one that can ever answer that prayer. The only way that we'll be ever be able to intercede for anyone in prayer is if we spent quality time, intimate time with the only one who's able to actually answer that prayer. And so maybe a couple of questions this morning. What kind of personal time are we spending 
with God. And what impact does that have, not only on our own relationship with God, but our ability to pray for others, our ability to get his heart for our families, our children, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, our church family, and our ability to pray for them, not just for ourselves. There's a second thing we can learn about intercessory prayer this morning from the prayer of Moses, and it's found also in verse 11. It says, but Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, why does your anger burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? The second thing we learned this morning is in intercessory prayer, we plead with God. We plead with him. Moses had a personal relationship with God, which allowed him to plead with God. And this makes sense, doesn't it? Listen, the people that we are most close with, the people that we are most intimate with, the people that we have spend the most time with, that we have the best relationship with, generally our families, we are generally most vulnerable with them. We're also generally most vocal with them, right? Sometimes you're talking at home and you say to your kids, you wouldn't talk that way to your friends, and they wouldn't, but they'll talk that way to you. And, and maybe they shouldn't, but, but there's something in it that says, I'm close to you enough to, to raise my voice to you or to, or to question you in that way. Oftentimes, we are most visceral. Our most visceral emotions come out in our communication, oddly enough, with the people that we're closest to. And there is some good to be found here, and there is some that's not so good. I understand. Moses is pleading with God. Moses is close to God. Moses has a personal relationship with God. Moses is vulnerable in front of God. Moses is verbal with God. He tells him. Moses is visceral. He is pleading with God, knowing that God's people are under God's, going to be under God's judgment. There's a good reason for it. And Moses pleads for mercy instead of judgment. The word literally means to become sick. This word implored means that Moses became sick to his stomach. He was moved in this way. We were talking about this after we prayed this Thursday morning, and you men will all get an email from me tomorrow, and I did a soft launch of this on Thursday, and it was one of the best parts of my week. Gathered about a dozen men from this church to pray over this passage before we talk about it on Sunday. To pray for all of you in our church before we talk about it on Sunday. And we'll be doing that every Thursday, all summer. The men of this church praying on Thursday morning for this church and God's people. And for all the things we'll consider on Sunday mornings. And after we got to the end of it, we were talking about this, this word. And Bowman says, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to look that up in the Hebrew because the translation I read from, I didn't like. And he said, yeah, I don't like it either. I'm looking it up. And the word is, it's, Bowman says it's a stative verb, which means it changes your state. That you were in one state and now you're in another. And the state that you're in now is your, your stomach, your inward, you're inward, you're in knots about the thing that you're praying. You are pleading with God. You are begging God for these things. You're begging God to give you his heart for the people you love the most and you want to pray in line with that. And this is the heart of intercession. It's pleading with God. You're like insides are changed and kind of in knots as you get God's heart. This is God's heart. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way. God's heart is that they would turn. God's heart is to give mercy. So you get God's heart for God's people, and then you pray that thing. And again, it's Father's Day. I think this is just fitting to talk about praying for our kids. 
I mean, there's a place downstairs where I do my time with God in the morning and I, I pray for it. And I, and like, I just kind of tell you, almost every morning, I, my, my, my gut's turned, you know, because there are things that I want for my family that I, that I pray for them. And I, I just, I'm pleading with God. Even if it's not a crisis, it's just I'm pleading with him for <laughs> their highest good. Maybe you can relate to that. I remember one morning, I, Dina came down and I was crying, you know, and I was, um, I don't know. I guess it's, I'm half Italian, thanks mom, you know, but I just, I'm a crier. And, um, and I was crying one morning. Dina's like, what are, what's happening? Are you okay? And it's like, no, no, I, I was just like, I'm just literally pleading with God over these things. And maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you've had moments like that even this week. This is what intercessory prayer is. And sometimes we pray for our children because they're caught up in particular sins. And sometimes we pray for our children because they have been sinned against by other people and life is really difficult. And sometimes we pray for our children because they're just struggling through something. There's no sin attached to it. It's just, this is hard. Life is hard. And so we intercede for our children. We intercede for our friends. We intercede for God's people. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that your guts were wrenched as you were praying? That you were just like bound up inside, pleading with God? to get his heart for people, and to pray that for them. There's a lot to learn here from the prayer of Moses. There's a third thing we can learn. It's in verse 12 where it says, why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? And the third thing we learned this morning is that in intercessory prayer, we pray considering the reputation of God. In intercessory prayer, we pray considering the reputation of God. Moses knows that people are prone to judge God's intentions, right? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent? That's judging God's intentions and motive. Did he bring them out? I think Moses is saying something like, Lord, I know you, and I know your heart for your people, and I know your intentions. So Lord, act in such a way that all of those people that are out there that, that think you're just an angry God who's just waiting to punish people, just silence them by your response, and, 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 and uphold your own reputation. You know, I think, and I've mentioned this already once this morning, I think a lot of people see God as an abusive father. And I want to say there is a difference between an abusive father and an assertive father. A lot of people see God as an abusive father, like he's just waiting to punish. And an assertive father is just willing to discipline, and there's a huge difference. And I hear a lot today that people think that God is like an abusive father, and especially young people today, and, and it makes me really sad because that, that makes me think they must not have had good fathers. I had a, and have a fantastic father, and many m men in this room have fantastic fathers. I've got an incredible father-in-law. My, my son has great examples in the, the older men in our family, and the men in this church have great examples in all of the fathers, so many of the fathers in this church. Apparently, there's a lot of examples that, that are not like that, and there are abusive fathers who are just waiting to punish. That's not who God is. God is an assertive father who's willing to discipline. The difference between an abusive father and an assertive father, well, there's a lot. <laughs> but one of them this morning, I think, in our context is that an abusive father doesn't want to show mercy. He doesn't want to show mercy, and he never does. 
And an assertive father is desperate to show mercy. I just want, I want to give you grace. I just want to show you mercy. And an assertive father often does. Can you think about how many times God should have responded to you with judgment? I mean, just, <laughs> I know it's not a pretty thought, but just, 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 just go there for just a second. How many times you have deserved judgment from God and you've received mercy? I mean, just think about it for a moment. It's, it's, it's unfathomable how many times I have deserved God's judgment, <laughs> but how often I get his mercy. God the Father, the God of the Bible, he is, he is unmatched. He has an unmatched reputation in showing mercy. No one has shown more mercy than he has. And in intercessory prayer, we are, we are, we are appealing not primarily to our request, but to his reputation. As we come into intercessory prayer, our appeal is not just our request, what we want. Our appeal is his reputation, who he is. When we pray for other people, we're, we're not appealing to our request, we're appealing to his reputation. There's a fourth thing we can learn about intercessory prayer from the prayer of Moses. There's so much good stuff here, only two more. Verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out of the, kill them in the mountains that consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. The fourth thing we learned this morning is that in intercessory prayer, we bring our petitions to God. In intercessory prayer, we do bring our petitions to God. Even though we ground our prayers in the reputation of God, more than simply our requests, even though our petitions are grounded not in our request, they're grounded in our, our time with God, our intimate fellowship with God, they're grounded in the, the, the personal relationship we have with him, they're grounded in what we know of him, we actually do bring our request to him. That, that, that's not the biggest thing. Our, the, the, our requests are not the, ground, the biggest grounds for our prayers, but we do bring them. We do give and bring our request to God, and we should. Moses knew the character of God, and so he brought his petitions to God. And he brought a petition that was in line with what he believed was God's heart. Moses spent a lot of time with God, so he thought, this is a, a petition I believe is in line with God's heart. God has a merciful heart. I'm going to bring this petition to God. And I just want to say, I'm not sure that Moses knew for sure what God would do. And just pause and think about that for a second. God was justified in judging his people. I'm not sure when Moses brought that prayer, he knew God's going to answer and God's going to relent and it's going to be mercy. Like God would have, I want to make this clear, God would have been just to give them judgment. But Moses knows the heart of God. And so he, he brings his petition to God, not knowing, is it, you know, is this going to be it? What God would do. But knowing that God would be per perfectly justified either way. And he knew enough to bring this petition to God. And I can't help but think maybe we feel like that a lot of times. I know I do. Like I come to God and I'm like, Lord, I don't know if this is what you want. It's what I want. And so I'm just going to tell you it's what I want. And I hope it's what you want. And I think it's in line with what you'd want. But ultimately, Lord, you, you are just, you are righteous, you are sovereign. You could do this or you could do this. And I'm just saying, I'm asking you to do this. Please, please do this. It 
if we spend a lot of time with God, we get a lot of boldness to bring our petitions to God in that way, don't we? And sometimes if you haven't spent a lot of time with God, you feel a little sheepish about bringing your petition that way to him. This is, I think, one of the reasons why it's so important to keep regular, intimate time with God. I mean, bringing our petitions to God without spending a lot of time in the presence of God, it feels a little presumptive, doesn't it? It's like, well, Lord, <laughs> it's been a long time since we've talked, but would you please do this thing? And next time I need something, like, I'll be right back here pleading, but until then... It feels a little presumptive and maybe precarious at worst. But bringing our petitions to God when we've been spending time with God, not like we're perfect, right? None of us are perfect. Like we could spend more time with him, of course. Like our relationship could be more personal, intimate, of course. But just having those regular rhythms of personal time with God and his word and in prayer and meditating on scripture, it's just, oh, the, the confidence that we have that we can come to God with our petitions. When you pray, are you praying with that kind of confidence? There's a last thing I think we can learn in this passage this morning about intercession for Moses' prayer, and it's in verse 13, where it says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servant, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the last thing we learned this morning is in intercessory prayer, we pray considering the promises of God. We pray considering the promises of God. So much prayer seems like it's about bringing our requests to God and our petitions to God that are grounded in the reputation of God, and it is, and we should. Even Jesus in his prayer, which we'll get to in a few weeks, it includes requests. God wants to hear our requests. But I think the best place to ground our prayers is in the promises of God. And of course, there's an obvious connection between the reputation of God and the promises of God. He says it, who you swore by your own self. And here Moses knows, of course, that God has chosen, God has promised even, to make a great nation through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's appealing to God on the basis of God's promises. I read this little excerpt from Gary Miller this week, and um, it made sense to me. I hope it makes sense to you. When it comes to prayer, however, the Bible seems to have a much narrower focus than we would normally allow. Prayer is a means of communication with God. I think when I hear people talk about prayer a lot, I talk about, it, oh, we're just communicating with God, very broadly. Well, of course, yes, we are communicating with God. We are speaking, we are listening. But more, far more often, it is simply asking God to do what he has promised to do. I mean, as, as, as Gary looks through the, the Bible, he says, more often in the Bible, what we see is it's just, we're just appealing to God to do what he's promised to do. This is the, one of the reasons why around the Village Church, we always encourage you to pray scripture and to ground your prayers in scripture. Because as you ground your prayers in scripture, you're grounding your prayer around the revealed will of God. Praying things we already know God says he wants. Many of you praying these scriptures over your children. We had child dedications up here a few weeks ago, and, and each of you we always ask to pick a verse to share that you've been praying over your children. I know the men and women in this church. I know the fathers and mothers in this church pray scripture over their children. I know you do that. Many of you do that daily, nightly. We pray these, I pray the scriptures I read in the morning, the Bible reading plan, I'm praying them over my kids every day. Of course we are. 
we're grounding our, our prayers in Scripture because we already know this is what God said he wants. Why would I not just pray those things? And in 1 John it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the things that we've asked of him. So why would we not just pray Scripture, the things we already know what God wants? Lord, would you conform Luke and Ashley and Mandy into the image of Christ? I know 100% he's answering that prayer. I already know, because I'm praying scripture over them. I'm praying what God said he wants for all of us. Why would we not pray those kinds of things? Okay, so what is the result of this kind of prayer? You're like, Matt, you seem seems pretty intense, this intercessory prayer thing. It is, and I'll tell you, if you have been given this sort of gifting, if, you're, if you have a proclivity to this, you know that it's tiring. You, know? you pour yourself out. You're knotted up inside as you pray for people. It is kind of sobering. So what, what happens when we pray this way? Verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken to bring on his people. And this is the last thing we learned this morning, that in intercessory prayer, we pray expecting an answer from God. When we intercede for God's people this way, when we're, we're pleading with God, we're in a personal relationship with him, we're pleading with him, we're grounding our prayers in his reputation and, and his promises, we're crying out to him for other people, we're got, wanting his heart and praying those things, we should be expecting an answer. And I guess Moses was expecting an answer, wasn't he? He said that God relented. It literally means to be sorry or to be moved with pity to have compassion, to want to show mercy. We could do a whole sermon on just this one verse, and I'm not going to this morning, but what I am going to say is, the Lord was moved through the intercession of Moses. That's a fact. The Lord was moved through the intercession of Moses. And in his providence, God has chosen as one of the primary ways in which he moves, and this is all throughout the Bible, is that he moves through the prayers of his people. And I almost wanna say, don't ask me why. (laughs) I know that it is. And this year, if you wanna sign up for Apprentice, we'll get some deeper answers to that as we study prayer and the providence of God, and Bowman will unpack it for you in Apprentice this year. That God in his providence has chosen to work through the prayers of his people. And so I said, I kind of want to say, don't ask me why, because I, I, I do know a few reasons why, I think. And I don't know all the reasons why, but, but maybe, and especially on Father's Day, I think this is fitting. Maybe it's because God has the heart of a father. Maybe it's because God has a heart of a father, because... Because I know when my kids come and ask me for something, like, I want to say yes as often as I possibly can. A number of years ago, I think I've shared the story, we were on sabbatical and we had extra time and by God's grace, we had some extra money that people had helped us with. And so we had margin like we'd never had before. And one of the best things about sabbatical was I said yes to my kids all the time. And it was awesome. Dad, can I get this? Can I get the surf and turf? Yes. Get that. Dad, can we go on this ride again? Yes. Yes, we can. Dad, can we do this today? Yes. Let's do that. It was so wonderful to say yes so often. I love saying yes to my kids. 
And I am a, and I'm a father who's marred and broken and imperfect, and I fail. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, so there's times, like, I feel like, oh, I'm dad of the year. And there's times I feel like, what am I doing? How, what, what kind of father am I? And, like, that, that's me. Like, and we're saying God, God is, 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 is wanting to hear, if I am so broken and I want my kids to ask me anything and I want to say yes as often as I can, what do you think God's heart is toward you? C.S. Lewis, I think this captures this really well. He says, there's no question whether an event has happened because of your prayer. When the event you prayed for occurs, your prayer has always contributed to it. When the opposite event occurs, your prayer has never been ignored. It has been considered and refused for your ultimate good and for the good of the whole universe. So as much as I said yes to my kids in sabbatical, if they brought some request that I knew would bring harm to them, I'd say no. Or if they brought something that I think they weren't ready for, I'd say maybe next week. If you've ever brought a request to God and the answer is no, it's for your ultimate good and the good of the whole universe. But please, please believe God's heart is to say yes. If you're not yet a Christian, I want to end by just telling you, this is basically, this is like intercessory prayers. All, it's, like, it's, a, it's just a picture of the story of God and of redemptive history. It's this idea that all of us have, have corrupted ourselves with sin. All of us have turned away from God. All of us have turned toward idols, and all of us are under God's wrath. All of us deserve his judgment because we've sinned against him and against other people. And God is perfectly loving, but he's also perfectly just, and he has to punish sin. But instead of leaving us in that place where we're under God's judgment, God loved us enough as a loving father to, to send his son. God came to us, actually, in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you're not yet a Christian, as Christians, we believe Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life for us on our behalf. Never corrupted in any way. Never turning away from God in any way. Never turned toward any idol in any way. Always in perfect relationship with God. He lived that on our behalf because we couldn't. The Bible also teaches that di Jesus died a death we should have died on the cross and in our place and for our sins. All the weight and the guilt and the shame and the punishment for all of our sin and the, and the sin of all those who had sinned against God. We, we deserved it all, but it was put on Jesus instead of us on the cross. So Jesus lives a sinless life for us. He dies on the cross in our place and for our sins. And when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in him, that through his life and through his death, that we can be in our faith in him as the son of God who's come to, to save us from our sins, that we can be forgiven of our sin, and then we can be free to live a life now that, well, that follows him as, as, as sons and daughters. We're forgiven and we're free to live the way that he intended to us to live from the beginning. We're saved from our sins. We're forgiven for our sins. Our lives are forever changed. We're part of God's family. And we'd want to invite you into that. I'm going to invite our worship team up and we're going to sing. And, um, and I'm going to invite you in a moment to pray. But I want to remind you that as we do pray that, that because Jesus has lived for us and died for us and risen for, for us and risen to prove all these things were true, Paul can say in the book of Romans, who is to condemn? Is there anyone to condemn us now? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, 
who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus interceded for us at the cross, and Jesus continues to intercede for us. Just before that, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That if you're a Christian this morning, there's no condemnation for you. Christ has interceded you once and for all on the cross. Jesus continues to intercede for you in ways that you and I can never even imagine. The Spirit of God leads you and guides you as you praise and even intercedes you for you when you don't even know what to pray. God is all about intercession. And this is the good news this morning, that Jesus interceded for us at the cross so we can intercede for others based on that truth and on that hope of the cross. And I hope that's good news for you this morning. It feels strange to talk about prayer without praying. So for the next three minutes, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and your hearts with me. And I know three minutes is going to feel like an eternity on a Sunday morning, especially if you're a guest. And I just want to say, I'm sorry, not sorry. Okay? Would you bow your head? Would you bow your heart with me? And I just want to ask you this morning, what is the one thing that you want to bring before him this morning? Who is the one person that you want to intercede for this morning? And I want to ask you to ask him to give you his heart for that person, even in this moment. We just read that the spirit intercedes for us with groanings, right? That maybe you don't know it all right now, but I want you to think about and pray for that person or that situation the best that you can and trust the promise of God in the Bible that says he is interceding for you. And if you can't give it words, he has words for it. So who is that one person? And what is that one thing? And I know we're in church, but I want to ask you to pray like I described that one morning on the chair downstairs or my, my stomach is in knots. Would you don't be ashamed, please, to plead with God, even though your body is relaxed on the inside. Just plead with him for that thing this morning. Plead with him for that person. <laughs>